Hi, and welcome to Harvest Bible Chapel, Kuala Lumpur Online. We hope that the following message will be a blessing to you as you seek to walk with the Lord in spirit and in truth. For more information about our church, please visit www.harvestkl.org or click the link in the description below. Good morning. Can everyone hear? Can you hear? Well, good. It's great to be back with you all this morning. Uh, the last time I preached, we were, my wife and I were just, a, we did not know this at the time, but we were only a few days away from having our first child. Uh, so about three days after the last time I was with you guys, uh, we had our son. He's uh, happy, healthy, overdramatic, uh, but he's doing very, very well. Uh, and I'm very blessed to be back here again today. Uh, always appreciate Michael giving me the opportunity to uh, stand in the pulpit and talk about the word with you guys. Um, so you've been going through the book of First John. Uh, today we're in chapter two. And we're going to work through verses 15 through 27. Um, and the title of the message today is going to be Hold On to the Truth. And this little passage, this section of verses, we're going to break up into three different sections, um, but they are ultimately all, we're going to tie them all together um, and see what they tell us as a whole. So the first little section we want to talk about, the first part is uh, verses 15 through 17, and it is about the love of the world. So verses 15 through 17 say, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. So it's a little bit confusing at first uh, when it says, do not love the world or the things of the world, is John telling us not to love the people of the world? Of course he isn't. Um, the scriptures are very clear to us that God loves the world and all the people in it, and we are to do the same. In John 3.16, it tells us that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God wants us to be as much like him as we possibly can, so since God loves the world, we are to love the world, also the people of the world. In the book of Micah, chapter 6, verse 8, uh, the prophet says, He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. God has always wanted us to be kind to others, to be just to others, and to treat others with respect. When asked by the Pharisees what is the greatest commandment, in Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 39, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. So like we said, Scripture is very clear that when John tells us not to love the world, that he's not talking about the people of the world. We are to love the, the people that are in the world. So what does he mean? His point is that we are not to love the desires of the world and the temptations of the world, and we are not to put them ahead of God. So the things of the world that we enjoy are not always bad things. If you think, why did God create the mango to be so delicious? He created the mango to be so delicious because he wanted his children to enjoy the mango, but he doesn't want you to enjoy the mango more than him. That's an awful example, but it kind of gives you an idea of God gives us good things, but he never wants us to put those good things above him. So the point of verse 15 is that you cannot serve two masters. You cannot have God and anything else on a level plane or anything else above God. 
That is the main point. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, Jesus says, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Jesus was telling us clearly that God has to be the only master. There's a book, a really good book by a guy named Kyle Eidelman called Not a Fan, and he says that your heart cannot have a couch or a sofa. It does not have multiple seats. Your heart has a throne, and God is the only one that can sit on that throne. In the book of 1 Kings, when Elijah is doing this competition with the prophets of Baal to see whose God can burn up the sacrifice, in chapter 18, verse 21, Elijah says, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him, but if Baal, then follow him. And then in the book of Joshua, Joshua gives the people of Israel an ultimatum. In, verse, in chapter 24, verse 15, he says, If it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. The point of both of those scriptures is that you have to choose. You have to choose. God requires being number one in your life. He does not share that attention with anything or anyone else, and you have to put something first. You don't get to just like waffle around in the middle and have a gray area and serve multiple masters. So that's the point of verse 15 when it says, do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. The point is that God has to be first and you can't love the things of the world above him. So verse 16, moving on, gives us three different ways that the world kind of attacks us and wages war on our soul with temptation and desires. It gives us three different kinds. It says, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. So it gives us these three things, the desires of the flesh, the eyes, and pride of life as ways that the world wars on our soul. The first one, desires of the flesh, is gratifying physical desires. So this could be like lust of the flesh. This could be um, substance abuse, wanting like alcohol or something like that. It could be gluttony where we uh, just want to eat and eat and eat way more than we should. It's gratifying things that you want in your physical body. The second one is desires of the eyes. That is craving things like accumulating possessions, things that you see uh, something and you want it. And then the last one is pride of life. And that's like obsession with your status, your importance, wanting people to think highly of you, wanting people to think you're successful and things like that. These are kind of the three things that the world throws at us that um, most things can fit in this category that will bring our attention away from God and towards these things. And it's kind of crazy. It's not always so obvious the way that these things happen. Um, before a few years ago, making some life changes and uh, career changes, I worked in corporate America and did fairly well financially. And I've never been one for uh, luxury items. It's not something I've ever desired. You'll never see me with like Louis Vuitton or anything. It's not my personality. But the point is that at that time in my life, if I would have wanted those things, I could have had them. And about two weeks ago, Mackenzie and I, we had a baby. We were in Syria Mall, and we were walking through, like, the luxury part. And I found myself mourning the fact that I could no longer have that freedom. It was really strange because, like I said, I don't even want any of those things. But I found myself mourning the fact that at one time in my life, had I wanted to, I could have walked in there and bought something, and I'm no longer there. It was really surprising to me because, like I said, I have absolutely no desire for any of those things. I don't need a $1,500 pair of shoes. But um, 
at one time in my life, I could have done it if I wanted to, no matter how silly it would have been. So sometimes the world kind of throws those things at you in weird ways. Instead of, you know, hey, I went out and, and made a bad financial decision and bought an extremely expensive handbag. It's just the, like the spiritual part of your desire to have that thing that you let some happiness be pulled out of yourself because you didn't get something that you wanted. It's really strange. Um, and the reason why John tells us that these things and how important it is for us to not let this happen is in verse 17. Verse 17 tells us that and the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. John's gospels and John's epistles are full of the word abide, and it's just indwelling in God. It says it about him in us and us in him. It's just being in, like indwelling in the spirit is being so connected that you're like one in the same. And the world is passing away along with its desires. Everything the world offers you that tempts you to uh, give your attention and your love to it instead of God is temporary. All of it is. Uh, it will all eventually pass away. You think about um, some really expensive item that you want will eventually be considered old and worn out. Um, I've always thought, I don't even know if this happens. Maybe they're super good, but those, you know, Christian Louboutin shoes have that red bottom real famous. Or if you wear them a lot, does the red bottom wear off? And then if the red bottom wears off, do you really even still have Christian Louboutin shoes? It's a big question. So those things, everything in the world is temporary and everything wears out. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 20, Jesus tells us, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Everything in the world eventually fades away. And Jesus tells us that where we put our treasure is where our heart is. So what you treasure the most is where you put your heart. If you treasure God and your relationship with him the most, it's where your heart is. But if you put your treasure somewhere else, and it's not always physical possessions, it can be your family, it can be your children, it can be your career. Wherever you have your treasure is where your heart is and where you give the most of your attention but it's all temporary and everything with God is, is permanent and eternal. Where we come from, one of the biggest ways that people can do this um, is with automobiles. Like everybody likes to have a really nice car and some people pay an exorbitant amount for a, a car payment. And you can imagine you go and you're like, hey, uh, we've got this program. The church is raising some money for some a refugee family from Ukraine. Uh, would you mind uh, giving to that, and you're like, oh, I really can't swing it this month. You know, we're, we're pretty tight. And you look in the garage, you're like, eh, nice ride. So people have given more of their attention and their resources to something temporary and something that the world offers. And this is just the kind of things that, that happen to us. So when we see these, um, the, the world and the way it attacks us, when we move into the next section in verses uh, 18 through 21, John talks about false teaching and false teachers. And we'll see these two kind of tie together because a lot of times what false teaching and false teachers do is use the world and its desires to lure us away from what we know to be true. So I'm going to read verses 18 through 21. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they were not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have all knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and because there is no lie in the truth. 
So he starts out talking about this last hour. Anytime scripture refers to the last hour, the last days, it's really just talking about the time between Jesus' first coming when he came in the flesh and his second coming. So it's a long period of time, even though it sounds small or long to us, uh, but in the grand scheme of things, probably shorter. But it just means that it's during that time. And later on, he'll tell us that the Antichrist or anybody that just denies Jesus and who he is. Um, but what he ends up talking about is that these false teachers that try to pull us away from the truth, try to cast the desires of the world on you, tell you you can have everything that you want and God at the same time, a lot of times they're not that obvious. A lot of times um, they're, they're hard to notice. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, Jesus says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. What he's saying there is you have these false prophets, you have these people that are teaching false things, um, but they, they're not obvious. You don't just, you know, hey, look, you can tell that's a false teacher. Look how crazy they are. It's people that you know. It's people that um, are, you know, uh, teaching things that sound kind of right. Uh, and end up not being right. It's not always obvious. Sometimes they're, they're people you know, and they seem like they know what they're talking about. One time I was in a store in America, and a guy came up to me in a suit dressed really nice, and he said, hey, do you, you have a few minutes for me to talk to you? And I said, sure, why not? And what it seemed like he, when he started talking, it seemed like he was making a gospel presentation, like he was going to tell me about Jesus and why I needed him to save my soul. And I was sitting here thinking, oh, this is wonderful. At the end of this, I can tell him that we're brothers in Christ, and uh, I really appreciate that he's out here doing this. Um, but as his little speech went along, it started really running off the rails. So he explained to me that since there is a God the Father, that clearly there has to be God the Mother as well, and that uh, the Godhead is God the Father and God the Mother, uh, and in all the Trinitarian verses, like where we see that they created them in our image, like we see that as the Trinity, that, that was God the Father, God the Mother. Uh, Adam is in God the Father's image. Eve is in God the Mother. It was crazy. Um, that is not how obvious false teaching normally is. In that instance, I was clearly not going to be swayed by his teaching. He had his own special Bible that had been designed to tell this story. Uh, it was kind of crazy, but that is not how it normally works. Normally, it seems really good. Uh, in the U.S., we have one of the most famous false teachers of all time in Joel Osteen, and he uh, seems he can be like, he's got like a 40-minute sermon, and 39 minutes of it will be pretty solid, and then he just drops a bomb on you at the end when you go, oh, well, that's not true at all. So that's the way it normally works. You think, hey, you know, this guy's got a bad reputation. Everything seems pretty good, and then he drops something on you that is completely untrue and goes against Scripture. Um, that's how it normally works. In verse 19, he says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. Two different ways that can be looked at. One is that the false teachers were of them. They were of their group, and they went out. They went against solid teaching, went out. And the other way is that people who were in their group went out from them and followed those false teachers. There were people in the, in the congregation, in their, um, in their families that uh, obeyed sound teaching and, and knew the truth, but they ended up following these false teachers. And that's kind of how it works. Um, a lot of times they are people that you know, and they seem good on the outside. Like Jesus said, there are wolves in sheep's clothing. So moving on to verses 20 and 21, what John tells us is that we are not to be fooled because we know the truth. He says, but you have been anointed by the Holy One and you, have, you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you know the truth, but because you know it and because no lies in the truth. I love that part 
when he tells you, I'm writing this letter, not because you don't know the truth, but because you do. It's like, hey, I'm just reminding you of what you already know. John wants them to know this letter isn't about telling them what they need to know, but hey, by the way, you shouldn't be swayed by these teachings because you already know the truth, and that is what is important. The truth is important. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 through 4, Paul tells Timothy, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. This is how it happens most of the time. People decide that they want the truth to be different. And that's not how the truth works. The truth is real. It's not relative. Everyone doesn't have their own truth like the world tries to tell us sometimes. There is one truth. And people hear something that sounds better to them, whether it's true or not, and they will follow it. What people want is teaching that affirms what they already believe. They want people to just tell them what they want to hear. A big way that we see this in the modern church sometimes is with homosexuality. You have churches that say, oh, you can be homosexual and you can leave the church. You can be a minister in the church. You can uh, come with your family and, and be active members of the church, despite the fact that you're making a clear lifestyle decision that goes against scripture. But the world, when they hear that teaching, sometimes they're like, oh, I like this better. Universalism is another one. Somebody teaches you, oh, by the way, there is no hell. Everybody goes to heaven. That sounds really good. That's got to be easy for people to swallow. So a lot of people will follow teaching like that because it's easy to understand. The gospel is offensive in a lot of ways, and it's hard to swallow for people. You come and tell somebody something really easy, like, oh, you know, everybody has their own path to God, and all of a sudden it's easier to take, so people follow it because it is something that suits their own passions, as Paul says. So what we see is then John moves into a section where he's like, he talks about the importance of sound doctrine. He talks about how important it is to know the truth and what the truth is. And the fact of the matter is that Jesus is the truth. He is the exclusive truth. So verses 22 through 27, I'll read real quick. It says, who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, who he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you and those who are trying to deceive you, about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. So he's telling them how important it is to remember the truth they heard from the beginning. And the truth is all about Jesus. There are several things about Jesus that are non-negotiable for us. We have a list of a few of them. Um, this is not an exhaustive list, but there are a few things about Jesus that we believe that are non-negotiable, and if anybody tells you they're not true, then you have an issue. Jesus is God's son. People say God didn't have a son, you know, or, or Jesus was not God's son. Uh, God's too great to have a son, whatever. Jesus as God's son is a non-negotiable truth. Jesus is God, his divinity. Now, some people will tell you Jesus was just a man, Jesus was just a prophet, or Jesus was just a man until he was resurrected, all kinds of crazy things, but Jesus is eternal. 
Jesus came to earth as a human. It is very important. He couldn't have done the work on the cross if he was not actually human. Some people will say he had the impression of humanity without having actual humanity. Uh, also not true. He was fully man. He had to be to be the perfect sacrifice for us. Jesus is eternal. He was there from the very beginning. He was not created. His physical body was created, but he was not created himself. He's spiritually, he has always been. And then Jesus is the only way to God. Jesus is exclusive. Those are the kind of things, like I said, not an exhaustive list, but those are the kind of things that are non-negotiable. And John is telling them, you know, anything that goes against what you know to be true and to be foundational, you have to fight against that. You have to hang on to what is really true. John tells us, in 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, y'all have already been through this, but he tells us why we can believe this. We believe this stuff because it's in the scriptures, and he explains to us why we can believe the scriptures. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So John tells us right there, the reason you can believe all this is because we were there. The apostles, the ones that wrote these scriptures, we were there. We were first, we were witnesses to this. Like we saw Jesus turn water into wine. We saw him take a handful of food and feed 5,000 people. We saw him walk on the sea. We saw him calm the storm. We saw him heal people. We saw the dead come back to life. We saw him die on a cross. We saw his body put in a tomb, and we saw him alive again after that. Like we touched him physically. We hugged him again. We spent time with him again after he had died. They tell you, you can believe all this because we saw it. And as a church, we know that we can believe them because they all ran away scared when he was first crucified. They thought the rug had been pulled out from under their feet that you know, what they had been told about Jesus wasn't true because he was dead. And they all ran and hid and they were scared. And all of a sudden, because Jesus came back and appeared to them again, they were bold and they were brave and they got the spirit. And all of them, except for John, went out and gave their lives in really difficult ways for the gospel message because they knew it was true. And he's telling us in this scripture, this is why you can believe what they have to say. So I'm going to just give you a couple of examples of scriptures that give us these key truths in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, it says, In the beginning was the Word, so the Word is Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And then verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. In this scripture, we see so many of these foundational truths. In the beginning was the Word, so Jesus was there. It says that Jesus was God. It says that he was in the beginning and all things were made through him. So God, Jesus is creator. And then it says the word became flesh and dwells among us. It tells us that Jesus became a human man and came to earth to be with us. In Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 2, it says, Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son whom he anointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Again, we see here the fact that he is the son of God is established and that he has been given, he's the heir of all things and that he created the world. So he's eternal and he is Lord. And then what Jolly read for us earlier today, Philippians 2, 6 through 11, it says about Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped 
but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What we see in this scripture is that Jesus, every single knee and tongue, every knee will bow, tongue will confess that he is Lord. He is Lord. It tells us he became humble and he became a man and that he gave his life for us, but then he was exalted again. These truths are not negotiable in any kind of teaching that comes at us and tries to tell us that these things are not true or to be rejected. Finally, Acts chapter 4, verse 12, it says, There is salvation in no one else, or there is no other name under, given under heaven which, by which we must be saved. Jesus is exclusive. One of the main teachings the world wants to give you about Jesus or about Christianity now um, is that it's not exclusive. If that's the way you want to believe, that's fine, but there are other ways to believe, and that is simply not true. There's only one name under which you can be saved, and it is Jesus. It is the only truth. It is the only way. Jesus told, him, told us himself that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one can come to the Father but through him. So in verses 24 and 25, John goes on to tell us to remember the gospel, remember this message that you know. He says, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. The reward for holding on to this truth is eternal life. The reward for accepting Christ and what he's done for you is eternal life. This is the biggest decision that anybody makes in their life. And what you heard when you accepted the gospel, the first time you ever heard it, and you heard that God sent Jesus, his perfect son, to die for you on the cross, to pay your sin debt, and then he conquered death by rising from the dead so that you can have eternal life, and that you need to believe in that and give your life to him, that is the very beginning of it. That's the gospel message that you have to remember. It's that simple. A lot of times people like to say, I don't share the gospel because I don't know enough. But if you know enough to be saved by it, you know enough to share it. It's a simple message. It is not that difficult. And it is very important to remember this message. Just this week, um, Michael and Karen were sharing a story about uh, a young man. And Karen said, you know, Jesus is the only way to God. And the guy said, whoa, hold on a second. That's a little arrogant, isn't it? It's not arrogant. It's the truth. He is exclusive. He is the only way. And these types of messages um, that try to suggest there may be another path to God are what we have to reject. And that's what John's trying to tell these people. What you have is all of these, what we talked about in the beginning, the desires of the world. And they constantly attack us and they're constantly coming in us wanting us to think that we need something else besides God and besides the gospel. And what teaching does is kind of adjust to that. And teaching tries to tell you, as we would say, you can have your cake and eat it too. That you can chase the desires of the world, have everything that you desire while simultaneously having God on the side or having God equal to those things. You can spend almost all of your energy and your, your money and your time on developing your career uh, and God can kind of be on the side. You can just go see him on Sunday morning. That's the way that a lot of these false teachings come to us. And they're not always so obvious. Like we said, a lot of times they appear on the surface to be good. So that he closes out with verses 26 and 27. 
He says, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. Another thing that here is when it says you have no need that anyone should teach you, John's not saying that, hey, from the very beginning, you never need instruction again. Like, don't go to church and listen to preaching. Don't go to small groups and listen to your leader. You don't need that. That's not what he means. What he means is you have this foundational truth. And you know that foundational truth. You know the basics of Jesus and what he's done for you on the cross. You know that. Anybody tries to add or take away from that, that is what you don't need to be taught. You know, if somebody says, of course, you're saved by grace, but, and then they add something to it, those kind of things. There's nothing wrong with learning uh, the historical context behind the church in Corinth and why Paul wrote a letter to them or uh, learning the chronological order that the books of the prophets go. You know, somebody teaches you things like that. Those are good things to learn, but you know the gospel message at its very core. You don't need anyone to come in and try to teach you different things. That was the thing the early church struggled with a lot was people coming in and saying, yeah, the apostles taught you this and that's all good, but then there's additional things. And that's what he's trying to tell them that they don't need that they don't need someone to come in and teach them additional information because they know the gospel. This is true for all of us today. It's amazing how little things have changed. You look at uh, a book and these letters that are 2,000 years old and how much they still are true today and how much how little the world has changed when you think about it. These are things that are still important to us today. They're still the basic gospel message that Jesus gave to us and that we know to be true, and we still have to hang on to it and fight against those false teachings and share this gospel message with the world in its purest form, the one that we received from Jesus and his apostles in the first place. Let me pray real quick. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this day that you've given us today, Lord, and this opportunity to just gather around your word, uh, Lord, to discuss it, to learn from it, Lord. We just ask that uh, you soften our hearts, Lord, that you uh, speak to us and let us know exactly what it is that uh, you want us to get from it, Lord, and how we should, uh, how it should impact our lives and affect us. Uh, God, help us as we go out into the world to share that gospel message that uh, is the only message that can save souls, Lord, the only message that can uh, reconcile us to you, the only message that can give us eternal life, Lord, and help us not to forget that. Lord, the, the truth that we have, the exclusive way to you is what should give us a just desperation and a sense of urgency, Lord, to get the message out. To know that if people don't hear that truth, the only truth, Lord, then they have no hope. God, we just ask that you send us out with that truth. Help remind us of that truth, Lord. And God, if anybody's here today, Lord, and they haven't accepted the truth, Lord, that you are Christ, that you came uh, and died on the cross and rose again to save our souls, Lord, just let that truth penetrate their hearts, Lord. I give them a curiosity to ask questions and to approach someone, Lord, and just to ask how they can come to know you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.